0: Hi, everyone. It's Riley here. Um, So anytime we open the show by saying hi, everyone, and then saying our names, you know that we have something to say about the content that's coming. Um, We recorded this before, like, while the uh, protests over the murder of George Floyd were, like, just beginning. And obviously now it's being released. They have taken on a new character uh, so, we don't talk about them very much in the episode, which is, to be honest, I think okay, because a lot of people have said all that we could possibly say about the protests. Um, so, what we can say now is just to remind you that it's important that you donate uh, to bail funds if you can, uh, and the Minneapolis Bail Fund has said that it's fine, stop donating to them. So I've actually linked an article from Vogue uh, in the show notes that is giving another list of bail funds that do need assistance. So, hey, uh, do that and uh, enjoy this episode where we talk to, uh, well, we talk amongst ourselves for a while about some stuff that feels like basically a historical document at this point, but that still is pretty funny. Uh, because Dominic Cummings edited his own blog, which I can't stop chuckling at. And then uh, Hussein and I talked to journalist uh, and tech writer Sanjana Varghese about uh, the coronavirus response in the uh, socialist Indian state of Kerala. So that's also pretty good listening towards the end. Anyways, look, point is, um, enjoy, sit back, relax, try to take your mind off stuff. But then once your mind's back on stuff, make sure you hit those bail funds tip jars up. Anyway, enjoy the episode, everyone. Bye. Hello and welcome back again to this week's free episode of Trash Future. That's the podcast you are currently listening to. It's me, Riley. I'm joined
1: uh, by uh, Hussein. Hi. I'm also joined by Milo. Uh, it's me, your boy, joining you from the cool zone. Mm. Yes, Milo. Milo, Dave, Courtney, Edwards. Um, <laughs> <laughs> some protesters giving the police something of a clump in Minnesota.
2: <laughs>
1: and absolute um, diamond geysers.
0: And also, we are joined by Alice, Davidina Courtney, uh, yeah. Caldwell, Kelly. Yeah, that doesn't—that
2: that didn't sound crowbarred in at all. No, I'm. <laughs> how about this?
0: How about this, Alice? Uh, how about Courtney, Dave?
2: No, you know what? Continue Davina. to riff on this. Make it even more dense and impenetrable. This is a and good way right. to start your podcast. This is why people like us. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Anyway, Leonie, what's up? The
1: governess McLean.
2: Yeah what's up? I'm extremely sleep deprived and like I have a sore throat, which is not good for podcasting. So my body has turned the gender dial down. Uh-huh. Um, so I, I just sound like this now. It's cool.
0: Yeah, it is time for another another round of um uh, of of the liberals were super wrong about something again. And oh, no, oh, not again.
3: I
1: hate it when that happens.
0: Ah, mm. oh, ah, ju- oh, oh, beans, oh, beans juice. Ah, <laughs> oh, beans juice. Uh, it turns out that my disapproval wasn't able to change government policy. Um, so I basically don't want to spend too much time,
2: yeah, it, it, because it's boring and it sucks, and all, all, all of it is just libs being like, sir, mm. sir, sir. Have
1: you have sir? yeah like who Who cares it was the same thing when they were I was saying this to Mads this morning it was the same shit when they were all like oh how come Prince Charles got a coronavirus test in 24 hours like cause he's Prince Charles yeah I mean
2: it was cool that like it was cool that like people were yelling at him in the street that, that was nice I liked seeing that but like beyond that level of genuine like public anger where you like lose your neighbours in Islington um like uh, it, it, uh, that seems disconnected to me from like the kind of people who w- will be like, uh, "Well, the government is, is uh, yeah. uh, uh, on you know Twitter." What you're trying to do?
0: You're trying to like, you're, you're. as again, it is people whose minds haven't even po- been poisoned at this point by like the West Wing. We're beyond that. Their minds mm. have been poisoned by children's movies. Yes. There's a belief. But they, 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 It is an inspirational sports movie where you are going to try your best, you're going to almost win, you're going to come really close, and then when it looks like all is, go- all is lost, the referee finds some violation of the rules and it turns out you won the whole time. So look, what we're going to do is we're going to go through exactly what happened and then why it's fucking lame and then we're going to basically just forget it ever happened like the rest of the country is going to Yeah, well, I mean, well.
3: We,
2: we always do this. Like, every time we finish recording a podcast, we all do the Men in Black, like, memory gun thing to ourselves.
1: It's the only way to remain sane. I would recommend it.
2: Yeah, I don't remember anything we've ever talked about on this show. I, I no. Who are you people? What are you doing in my house? Here's what happened.
0: Uh, Dominic Cummings appeared to have broken lockdown more than three times when the lockdown was much more intense throughout April. He went up to his family's country estate in Durham. Durham? Durham? Jet, shut up and then jetted around like different um like areas of natural beauty and historic beauty with his wife for her birthday also as a side note the fact that he broke lockdown and sent the tories polling into the negative not that this matters to take his wife to castle barnard for his for her birthday is lame it's so fucking lame yeah it's sitcom dad shit okay Awful. boomer
2: yeah, but like yeah. the the really funny shit to me was that like because as we know we did we did the whole episode on the Brexit movie we know Dominic Cummings is uh, the brains ronin, Samurai of the mind um, of course my my, my favorite apprentice. yeah my favorite shit that he did was that after he drove back from Durham he the first thing that he did was to go into his blog and like hastily re-edit a bunch of shit to like claim that he had predicted the coronavirus because he didn't know that the Wayback machine existed
4: i have like i have like an odd respect for that because it sort of like reminds me of 2002 three four blogs um yes. when you, you would do that and like lots of like online atheists where i feel like lots of like the problems that we face right now come from online atheist forums they used to do that shit and they used to kind mm-hmm. of like, you know, stay up until like stupid hours fighting just to like make a point. And then they would edit their blogs to say that, oh, we made this point, but no, no one could like disprove them. And by the time they were able to disprove them, it didn't matter anyway. And he's just like, and we've spoken about this before, but he comes from that sort of like digital tradition, but he's like hmm. taken it and made it policy.
2: Yeah. yeah. He, he's a forums guy. He's, he's a right. forums guy. He's a blogs guy. He's, he's, he's the older generation of poster. Who We do not respect.
1: He predates I can has cheeseburger, and I personally have been <laughs> rocked to my core from by his blog post from 2018. We must protect XXX Tentacion. I mean,
4: he was right.
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs> so uh, here's he, he. Um,
0: he edited his blog to make it look like he predicted coronavirus specifically, and add the evidence that it came from a Chinese lab. But what's interesting is he made that edit so he could then say to a press interview on May 25th. Quote for years, I've warned of the dangers of pandemics. Last year, I wrote about the possible threat of coronaviruses and the urgent need for planning.
2: Yeah, <laughs> awesome, mm. so cool. <laughs> this is he is he is genuinely the the meme of the guy sitting on his own enormous brain.
3: Uh. Here's the thing: right? I think of
0: this. I think of this as like someone who's like, "Well, I know I'm incredibly intelligent, and I and I can't let something like this. And, and, and I know I'm incredibly intelligent." Everyone else needs to know I'm incredibly intelligent. And this is kind of the perfect way to kind of sell them on that. So it's just sort of a PR move. And I don't think that he sees any disconnect between being a super forecaster and only super forecasting this, in retrospect.
2: Yeah, this He's is just what like, well, super this is evidence. forecasting is. That's that's all it is, is you just go back and you hide the evidence.
0: Quite yeah. super. Mm. He's uh, he's a uh, he is like I've always said about Dominic Cummings. The man is trapped in a mind palace, and mm. the idea that he is some kind of Svengali or that he has some kind of damning evidence on Boris Johnson—that like, <laughs> oh, this is why Boris won't sack him. It's like no, he's just. He's just a blogger who believes himself to be some kind of
2: mega genius. And and like all (laughs) bloggers, he's like an abusive shithead, which meshes perfectly because, like, none of these people have ever been told to fuck off to their faces before.
1: Yeah, Dominic Cummings has a vice-like grip on power in this country because he is the sole possessor of a video of Boris Johnson just motorboating the shit out of the Queen. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So basically, what happened then...
0: Was a bunch of Tories like disapproved of and criticized the government in public and liberal journalists gleefully announced that this was like the end of Boris's authority. Like the, the equivalent was how Tony Blair was kind of elected on Black Wednesday in the early 1990s, even though uh, the major government staggered on for a little while longer. And so Cummings gives a, a Downing Street Rose Garden speech, and, which is like the affairs of state place to give a speech. And it again, so local journalists weird. falling over themselves about it, being like, oh, how dare he give a speech next to the roses? And Cummings was just like, I was right the whole time to do what I did. I'm not sorry. I don't care that I edited my blog. Fuck you. And yep. then it all yeah. folded back into a pointless culture war. When Emily Maitlis in the BBC was like taken off Newsnight, now she later said she this wasn't the case, but specific circumstances around this mean I just don't trust that um, for like mm. just saying the facts of the case. These and days. then every-
2: M- yeah. merely for saying that you're English, you will be arrested <laughs> and removed from Newsnight.
0: Yeah, mm. and so like ultimately. There was this great furor. It was like, oh, how could, I wonder, how, how could Boris Johnson be doing this? How could he be get, he can't possibly get away with it. He's going to be disapproved of. His party's going to rebel against him because Dominic Cummings broke the lockdown. How could you keep an unelected special advisor on like this? And it's like, I don't know. I'm just going to do it. I'm just yeah. going to do it. And there's nothing yeah. you can do about it. Fuck you.
1: And no one yep. will give a fuck because they want to keep their jobs. And they're fucking Tories anyway. They don't care.
2: Yeah. I like yeah. The, the one the one the one FBP thing that I have is like, you know when they see anything bad, they're like, oh, this is just like Russia. But like the one Putin-esque thing that I see in this is the I don't respect you enough to give you a plausible excuse. Uh, so I'm going to give yeah. you a, like an implausible one and be like fuck you call me on it. Yeah, I yeah. drove I drove I drove 60 miles to see if my eyes worked good.
0: Um yeah, yeah. And Michael go ahead Gove and print just,
1: that
2: you fucking asshole. Yeah,
1: yeah we then Michael test- Gove
0: just goes on TV and is like yeah I'd do that fuck you.
1: You know what it though? Yeah. Know, yeah, we were we were testing what- that financier's hearing by like locking him in a suitcase <laughs> and throwing him out of a third story window. <laughs>
4: You know, you know what? It, you know. You know what it sort of reminded me of, like, and this this kind of like is very much in the vein of Dominic Cummings as a poster rather than as a policy advisor, which is when you just kind of tweet something ridiculous online, which is like there's kind of like a grain of truth to it, but all of it is so absurd and stupid. For example, that I'm a doctor who whispers into babies' ears. And then you have like your friends and your pals like back you up on it. And it's like, yeah, he's the doctor. I saw him yesterday. And like, you kind of create this reality, which is like completely false and completely (laughs) stupid, but you have enough people kind of like amplifying it that the authenticity, uh, the authenticity of it, like doesn't even matter anymore.
2: Are you suggesting that Dominic Cummings is doing bits?
4: Yes. I'm, I I think (laughs) that he's doing bits in real life and, and like, and the FBP people are kind of like taking the bait for it. Just like they took the bait when I did the tweet about Dominic Cummings, um, being like the, uh, being the epitome of an alpha male. And I had all these FBP people in my head mentions being like, you know, huh, that's what you think. Like, you know, the, uh, just calling me a Tory and all this stuff. And like, mm. the original tweet that I did like had dudes rock in the actual tweet, right? <laughs> it had, um, because Dudes rock. And, and it, I, I don't know, it just kind of this goes to show, it shows, it I mean, shows, first two of all,
1: damn, closing
4: down the truth once again, yeah. the libs. <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> I think, I think what there's,
0: one of the things I think this goes to show, right, is that, um, is that the, 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 libs, the, the uh, established respectable liberal commentators live only to react to the, to the, the conservatives at yes. this point. Only to do that,
2: so they <laughs> live in the world the conservatives built. That's literally true. Is- that's that's, yeah. that's transatlantic, like the the, yeah. the like the libs who exist to like troll Trump's replies, like and Je- oh, like Jeff Tedrick or Eugene Go. Fucking Goon. hell, that guy's the worst. Yeah. So this yeah. is a this is a Wendy's drive-through. <laughs> Not
0: even. <anymore. laughs> he's, he's just like uh-huh.
2: replying to a tweet that's like, yeah, I would like to start the second American Civil War. Um protesters will be shot also i don't know where i am right now and i don't really like whatever
1: we've got a we've got a a fucking stupid comes to fuck cheese string in the number 10
3: the fucking
2: the fucking drump, huh Hmm.
0: here's the thing Hussein. right there's another thing i want to you said that i want to build on you said it's government by bits and like yeah it kind of fucking is at this point Right. Because like, if you think about it in this week, Boris Johnson, when told that migrants don't have recourse to public funds, was like rightly horrified. <laughs> he was like, what? No, of course they have recourse to public funds. We've been saying that they've been coming in and taking all the benefits for ages. And you're telling us they don't actually have that right? And it's like, nah, man, they don't.
3: Boris just, yes, just being
0: and?
1: goodbye lenin by his own government. <laughs> <laughs> like, he has no idea. He thinks he's the leader of the Labour Party. Absolutely. <laughs> no idea like he thinks he is jeremy corbyn that's why he was so confused by jeremy (laughs) corbyn running against him
0: (laughs) also matt hancock getting interviewed about the test and trace scheme and then just like being being suggesting that it's being rushed out before it's ready uh and then just laughing at the possibility (laughs) again in the middle of a pretty serious fucking crisis you just have to kind of respect the tories for being like no we are not scripting this this is an improv government. Yeah. This is UCB. We all paid our fees to be here During, at UCB yeah. government.
2: T- test and trace program. I think I heard test and trace program in the back. It's just like, yeah, cool.
4: The thing is, is, it's really effective as well because the audience that they're trying to bait are people who are so convinced that like the rules need to be, uh, the rules need to be uh, followed, and people will automatically be outraged that people don't follow the rules so the whole thing about like dominic cummings being like the huge story even though it's not even though it is just like for the most part a twitter story albeit one with like maybe a little bit more traction than most um is like this inherent belief that well because he so obtusely broke the rules and because he so obtusely doesn't give a shit about it and any government that um cares about its like integrity would get rid of him which is exactly what keir starmer would do in this kind of alternate universe um, hmm. So it's kind of like taking all this, you know, it's, it, it's still this kind of thinking that is ultimately fruitless. There's no, yeah. um, there's no precedence to suggest that this government yeah. would punish rule breakers because oh, it hasn't been say- over a decade. And it, yeah, well, yeah,
1: it, it just it, it just shows like how easy they are to take for a ride because like any government that cared about its integrity would never have hired Dominic no. fucking Cummings. Did,
4: did, did you
2: see though that like the the Labour response to this has literally been the twenty sixteen Hillary Clinton playbook of let Donald be Donald. Like there's that uh, there was in one of the sketch things there was like somebody yeah. asked um uh, asked one of the Starmer people who was doing the like morning show rounds for the party. And they said jokingly, Michael Gove, like they're just letting them like fall on their swords for this. And it's like, yeah, great. If we just let people see what shitheads the Tories are being, then the people who have voted for the Tory shitheads overwhelmingly for uh, now a decade at this point are just going to like not vote for them anymore anymore. And they're going to respond very positively to us having posted this, like, 60-square-pixel image of, like, a letter that says maybe we should have a full judge-led inquiry into whether or not this guy actually did drive 60 miles because his eyes don't work.
0: Yeah, the crucial thing is, uh. right? The crucial thing is to focus on the substance of any of this is to be completely snookered as many of these liberal journalists were. The only thing that this tells you is that the there is an increasing realization on the part of this government that it doesn't really need to do anything or be comp like be competent like it could du- it, it's been double counting tests and double
2: counting ppe and stuff and then nothing happens yeah i mean if, if you even try to do accountability after having been extremely servile to it for the past couple of years at a minimum they'll just kick you off of Newsnight for the day You'll just be yeah. like well fuck you
3: yeah
0: exactly yeah, it 80s- is it is it is pure season three shit. It's pure middle finger, yeah. middle finger to everybody. Mm-hmm.
1: Emily um, Maynard has been on thin ice ever since she was that rude to Dapper Laughs. <laughs>, Laughs. Right,
0: and the other thing, right, I was thinking is just like, it's part of this whole, um, this real feeling like we are just, we have stepped through a door and entered back into 2016. Where I just it gives me these memories of the we discovery never left that the we never that left. the leave campaign like broke the financing rules and the belief that oh we're gonna uncover this Russia collusion and the leave campaign's yeah, like it's financing like, no, rule collusion or who, whatever and then that's gonna somehow snooker these people and it's like yeah it's like okay congratulations you you've won this game of the rules the, the, now the thing is,
2: collect your prize somehow yeah the uh, the thing is right and I say I say this to neatly tie this up in a bow. Right, um, you don't like. You're not gonna be able to like appeal on a technicality on the basis that when you ask the British people, do you want to do a lot of racism? Yes or no, and the majority of them voted yes. That some of them might have been taken advantage of. Right, it, it, that's just that's fucked. It's not gonna work. It's pathetic. Don't try. Uh, you're embarrassing yourself. Um, yeah. yeah, just no, and
3: no more before, libs.
2: Yeah, before we move on, as well, because I, I, like I said, I don't
0: want to spend too much time on this, and we've successfully treated it with the contempt that it deserves, in my opinion. Um, I want to sort of say one last thing about the about this government by riffing, which is something I've been thinking about so much, having seen just the just the 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 way that like. The, it's that Tory ministers and stuff going on TV no longer even have uh, a sort of casual relationship with the truth. They have a casual relationship with like plausibility because like they're just bumbling from one crisis to the next because I think since David Cameron, at least, or maybe even Blair, governments have never actually been really for it. Well, that's not true with Blair. Blair had a mission. It was just bad. But since David Cameron, governments have never really been actually for anything themselves. They're just sort of there as shibboleths who then vote through policies cooked up in think tanks and who are campaigned for by the press. So they really just need to be there to be like a sort of altar or a statue and continue to be like a, a pipe, almost like a dumb pipe, through which other things are realized. And like before this, they never really had to do much because 55 Tufton Street would write your policy and the Telegraph would campaign for it. You just sort of needed to be there to be a bum in a seat. And so I'm reminded, the reason I, I think about Cameron Is because I'm reminded of David Cameron's chumocracy, where he never really governed at all because he knew what his job was. And like when he would do policy retreats in in the prime minister's country residence, like when Blair did it, like he was doing bad shit, but he was like at least doing he was doing work. Like they were actually making policy. It was just evil policy. Mm -hmm. Whereas Cameron knew that his job was essentially just as at best, marketing and PR, and so just played tennis and drank pins with all of his spads all weekend. He knew his job was to just be a mechanism that transferred all this stuff to people.
4: That was how they sold the coalition government, right? Which was that you know you have a you know they. I remember I remember it being marketed as like you've got these two uniquely different parties of liberal democrats and the conservatives, but they're coming together to like res- um, in the quote unquote national interest, which was to get the country's uh, finances back on track, which meant. Um, at least, like the way that they sold it to kind of like get uh, get out of debt or like to reduce the debt massively. So for them, it was like the policies and the ideology doesn't really like the aesthetics of it. The aesthetics of it don't really matter. And almost, it's more appealing to say that you know we're coming together to solve this like existential problem that has been quote, quote unquote created by the left in terms of national debt. Um, and it's amazing to think of that right now when you know the conversations around. You know, no, number one, there's like a reluctance to even confront the consequences of austerity. But even conversations about the national debt and whether it matters just doesn't really exist anymore, despite the fact that like the architects of those austerity related policies are still very much in the think tanks and in government and, and working as spads. Mm. And they're saying
0: austerity doesn't matter anymore because this is, again, it's all about the middle finger and the rule of power.
2: Yeah, and George Osborne it. has a new girlfriend, and he's feeling younger <laughs> than ever.
3: Exactly. <laughs> we Shapps is gl- loving
1: the improv class, just relentlessly setting every scene during the widening works to the A66. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Uh,
0: anyway, I, 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 I believe we have now, now we have treated that subject with exactly the amount of attention and contempt that it deserves. Um, and I want to move on to something uh, a little bit more fun uh, before we... Um, before we uh, uh, cut to our, our discussion with Stenjana. Uh And this is that, uh, it appears that while we weren't looking, an episode of the show Entourage seems to have accidentally come true. Yeah, I hate <laughs>
2: um, when that keeps happening. Yeah, wasn't Entourage based on a true story? Yeah, so it's just like, we, we, we've had like a, a simulacrum happen here.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes.
2: where So this is a, an article that came out in uh, the Quietus
0: uh, magazine. Uh, the other day by Ed Gillett. And uh, my goodness, is it quite something. So it's about mm. a DJ collective called Housekeeping. All right. Nice. I we already think- hate this. Yeah. <laughs> I'm already angry. Um, yeah. And uh, we are going to get into why we're talking about this in a sec because my lord, is it entertaining. So the uh, the article opens. The importance of a piece of music can sometimes be disconnected entirely from the sounds it contains. So it goes with Faces, the latest EP from London-based DJ collective Housekeeping, an utterly unremarkable slab of tech house which nonetheless prompts some complex questions about underground music in 2020. The EP itself floats by as a blur of mediocrity, notable only for its steadfast refusal to challenge even the tamest cliches of mainstream club music. Everything here is terribly well-mannered, flawlessly produced, and almost incomprehensibly boring. Ouch!
3: Yeah. Mm. Hey, you know,
0: I've I've listened to this EP. He is being nice. Uh, is it, it is. Mm. I mean, uh, number one, I, I I fucking hate deep house and I hate tech house. Uh, awful, boring, anodyne music for like you know investment bankers to do ketamine to and like a four hundred like four hundred pound entry Ibiza clubs. Um, <laughs> so the 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 article goes on. The most notable aspect of Faces is not its underwhelming sound. But the social and economic environment in which it's been produced—one in which ostensibly underground music is co-opted by people whose wider interests, uh, whose whose wider interests serve to destabilize the very cultures they claim to champion. Oh, uh, oh no,
2: we're not
1: going to find out that DJs are posh, are we? Yeah, well, it's going to be like four Dominic Cummingses. I'm seeing double here. I'm yeah, drive sixty miles to check
2: my eyes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, Riley's just mad because we've just preempted him by guessing the thing, haven't we?
0: Yeah. No. So this this group is... Yes, that's right. Uh, this group it, is, <laughs> is not... It's not. This isn't funny yet. This is the setup. Here's where it gets very delightful, which is that... Mm-hmm. And also remember, these guys aren't small-time. They sell out nights they promote in London. Uh, they have a pretty prestigious residence in Ibiza. And they claim that their story is one of hard graft, but the real deal is much more odd. So, um... I'd like everybody to please open the article and
2: look at the picture of them. Oh well, it was worse oh, than boy. the four Dominic Cummingses. Um, do you remember when libs were on the like um, hipster Kendall thing, where it's like uh, yes. these, these goddamn brochure lists, They all have the like designer stuff or the man buns. Uh, it looks like that. It looks like that. Uh, that they all none of these people look real. I'm thoroughly dissociating again. Um,
1: yeah. Oh, yeah. They're really, they're so, really astonishing. So what we all mixed like guys, all guys like... I was at university with, like the guys, the guys I was at university with who like got into DJing at Westminster because their dad bought them a set of decks for their sixteenth birthday to help him get over his parents' divorce. Um,
3: and
1: then, uh, yeah, no, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be running a night in, uh, in Oxford. It's gonna be called Subversion Prime. <laughs> Well, they're just, they're all the th- high renaissance man.
0: <laughs> so here's the thing uh, one nil nature. Uh, so here's the thing. Mm-hmm. Tellingly, of the four, three allied remove references to their surnames, perhaps hoping to draw some distinction between their musical personas and other public appearances. The mononymous Jacoby is a regular on the society pages with his full name of Jacoby Antstruther Gao Calthorpe.
2: Awesome. Oh, how a powerful name. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Is, yeah. Uh, usually cool.
0: usually in relation to his aristocratic connections. Well, for another member of housekeeping, Sebastian McDonald Hall, who was 168th on this year's rich list as a commercial real estate empire. Man, he must be yes. really
1: good
2: at DJing.
1: Hell
0: yeah. Yeah, he's so, so
2: rich from he's DJing. so good at DJing.
0: Yeah, he's absolutely getting tons and tons of money uh, from spinning a, at nights at his college. Just
2: like getting a bunch of money from my DJ and collective, and it's like propping up my like vanity project real estate empire.
3: I don't. I make
2: <laughs> no money off of renting flats
1: to anybody. Yeah. But like, I just I keep
2: banging it's out those
3: tunes. <laughs>
1: There are so, like, (laughs) he's making so much money off DJing. People are putting pressure on him to open a break light clinic or a mutual aid organization. (laughs) So uh, and,
0: and, fo- oh, and and then thirdly, Carl Waxberg is almost positively relatable by comparison, having merely been a director at Citibank for thirteen years before launching his own investment he's, he's fund. He's the only
2: one with a normal awesome. name so far, which is why it's so funny because it falls so flat. Like you have like Fucksworthy McHunt's the most dangerous game of all, and then you have uh, like Antonius Pius Tremulous Vanderbilt the Fourteenth, and then you have. Carl Waxberg, And it's like, oh, cool.
1: <laughs> Surely, oh, awesome. and I'm now expecting the fourth one to be like a DJ J- Javier Eichmann. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yes, well. Sabina de Regime Change.
0: <laughs> so, socialite, party planner, and property developer Taylor McWilliams from Texas is perhaps the most mm. infamous member of Housekeeping. Yeah. And I would now like to ring the. Um, this has happened on a previous episode of the of the podcast thing. We're getting the explanation for something we talked about before.
2: Oh, yeah. We don't actually have a drop for that. I guess we could have a drop for that. What kind mm, of drop yeah. for that well, would no, you like? The, the super the black one. The drop for that is what I just said. Oh, okay. Um, well, I'll give you the super-biet one anyway.
0: Super-biet! Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so, Taylor McWilliams' property development company, Hondo Enterprises, Ugh. were met with protests after installing the segregated poor doors in the council and the like social um, value flats in their Aldgate apartment oh, building yeah, in 2014. I remember that. But- yeah, that was
2: him.
3: Hmm.
0: Huh. We've... We have we have talked
2: about this
4: phenomenon before, sure. and there it is again. He, he named he named he, he's using he's using Technode for his redemption arc.
2: Oh, it's Tech House. Tech House. Yeah. So I, I don't Canis... understand the difference, and I won't learn. But like he named he named his development company after a not great John Wayne Western, Hondo Enterprises. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Pilgrim, this marble
1: entrance hall isn't big enough for the two of us. (laughs) Is that you, John Wayne? This guy would totally be like, no, but I was always like going round to the poor door anyway to hang out because it had a much more gritty vibe. (laughs) He he is actually Texan, Um, but I'm sure he probably would have that voice anyway. That's what I love about poor door girls. I keep getting richer and they stay the same age. (laughs) Like, jokes
2: being Texan doesn't make you uh, like a cowboy at this point. It makes you like a McMansion guy or like an oil fund guy. Like uh, the, the kind of Texan that gets you into like a DJ collective in London anyway.
0: So what I find more like, let's more interesting about this, right? It's not just that there are some rich guys who have a successful DJ collective. And again, it's mostly successful, I think this article yeah, heavily mean, implies, because they basically just, like, bought... They just paid
2: over the odds to get,
0: like, other people to listen, come to their nights and listen. stuff. Like, they basically just bought being listen, cool.
2: If, if they are a collective, that means that they're workers, they're a workers-run co-op. <laughs> um, and what we're not going to do is yeah. we're not going to tear down, like, uh, proletarian culture mm. on this show. Uh, yeah. But what's
0: very funny, in my opinion, uh, is that like they ju- they are DJs who can't stop gentrifying stuff. <laughs> uh, they are they are oh, addicted no, the to can't. gentrifying stuff. <laughs> um, and so what's happened is they've basically bought all. Like McWilliams, the guy who runs Hondo, has bought like all of Brixton Market, including like all of the the clubs that actually are owned and managed by people who are from there as well as, like, all of the shops that they go to. And he says it's part of his drive to rejuvenate and preserve what's great about the area by turning it into a pret,
1: I guess. Oh, yeah. Yeah, fuck yeah.
2: The world world is going to be an armed camp, but, like, the inside of it is going to be a theme park for guys like this.
3: Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's 100%. that's the
2: future, is the like everybody's up to their knees in boiling seawater outside like a very authentic uh club in Brixton that is run by these shitheads.
1: Like, listen, mate, if you're gonna live inside a walled compound with snipers and towers, you know, you're gonna wanna be able to grab a Wiltshire ham and Grav Baguette on your way to the club.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so
1: this is from another
0: interview with him he says when we first started going to Ibiza it was 20 years ago and there was very little VIP experience available and it certainly wasn't the VIP Mm. culture that we wanted to bring to central London you know by buying all of it and evicting everyone oh central London which never had a
1: fucking (laughs) VIP culture oh yes famous residents of central London like the prime minister and the fucking (laughs) queen
4: Look, they, they they went they went to Brixton Market. They did their research and they realized that the people who run the market and run the stalls just don't have very kitsch fashion. Yeah,
0: yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. You know what it is? It's that these guys are a workers' collective, and the people who own like the grocery store and that's stuff are petty bourgeois. Yeah. So. Mm. So they, they, he goes on. The music and the vibe of the island is what we cherish and wanted to bring home with us. The anything goes hedonism, free spirited hippie fun, combined with cutting edge house music. I hate every um, word of <laughs> that
2: sentence so much. <laughs>
0: Yeah, the anything goes hedonism, you know, of when you make everyone pay two thousand pounds per month to rent an, an art from you, so only like you know uh, BAE systems presents uh, presents dance class can afford yeah, it. Yeah,
2: I mean, but that's hippie, right? That's free spirited hippie fun. Yeah. Well, they mm. they
0: also said that they love the dance floor because people of all races, genders, and classes can come together in the spirit of harmony, as opposed. Oh. Uh, while dancing to electronic music and it's like yeah mm. that's definitely what like you know uh under the belleville three and
1: underground resistance and stuff yeah that's that's the roots of dance music you mm. fucking moron Look, listen mate. Um, if they didn't have some working class people on the dance floor like where would i buy my pingers from you know you've got to think about this <laughs>
0: um so what and so now like they are like they bought uh the premises of club 414 for example and this was framed as an attempt. This is like a, a, a club I mentioned earlier, which is like a big place for like South London jazz and and, and tech ha- and acid techno and stuff. And they said that what we're trying to do is save the venue, which had been closed by high other high rents for the previous six months, rents that they were pushing up. Um and then they fired all of the staff and have kept it completely closed. Presumably they're going to open it up again to do their own like very an anodyne car uh car commercial electronic music again at some yeah, point. It's going to
1: be the first Pizza Express nightclub. <laughs> <laughs> uh, awesome.
0: Speaking of spe- speaking of which, uh I actually did see, uh, share with you all the music video for one, of their, videos, one of their videos, you can One their songs. Uh oh uh, Alice, I think you want to I think you want to watch this and open your third eye because it is a third
2: eye opener oh, of a music okay. video. Yeah, it gets, that's, it gets that's weird. That's the vibe? Okay. Well, that, I'm reassessing then.
4: I don't really know if it's actually like, it's one of those things where it's like, yes, like it it is weird, but it's weird in the sense that like they're trying a bit too hard. Hmm.
0: Oh yeah, yeah.
1: Well, it's hang on. It's amazing uh, to me how seriously DJs take themselves. Like, it never ceases to amaze me. Like, the level of shit going on in this video is like, wow. Like, no one has ever told you to fuck off in your entire life.
0: Well, it's it's basically what this what this is. Is it's um a, the four housekeeping guys wearing black fedoras and leather jackets cool. on the roof of like a building. Um, and then um a bunch of lingerie models um. He
1: basically kidnap a girl in a white dress. I mean, I'm <laughs> putting a candle circle to like sacrifice. Hey, they have, they the have, dark They have the like bread tube
2: lighting. That's cool. Uh...
1: Yeah. <laughs> so
0: it's um, but it's it is it is quite simply a, 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 a DJ group comprised of like a couple of billionaires and a couple of multi of working class multimillionaires. Uh, have decided the iconography they want this to is, go with uh, th- th- this is this video her, right this, we're going to kidnap a relatively young girl uh and have her like groomed yeah. by four women in black lingerie but, like, also, and also she's gonna appear on that she's gonna appear on the roof above housekeeping's cool mayfair flat and then she's gonna be a cool
2: party girl this, as well this, this, no this, one this totally video yes. cost a lot of money to make like the camera work is expensive. the lighting is expensive uh, the like and for this one thousand eight hundred and fifty six views, three likes, fifteen dislikes, two comments which read us a crap and cringe
3: yeah they are
2: <laughs> they are try they are trying to
0: be like uh let's say elite, elite conspiracy material, but they are a set because they're all their jobs are just like aristocrat and landlord. Like they don't have the wherewithal to like do the uh, propaganda do a shit instead are just like hey wouldn't it be cool if we could if we could turn a woman's
4: clothes black and then she'd be goth like us uh the, the housekeeping guys it kind of gives me the impression that like these guys and i keep bringing this up as an analogy but it's, this is like the only thing this is the only time it sort of makes sense these guys watched the ritual scene of eyes wide shot and they were like damn this is really cool these are just like guys who hang out like us mm. yeah that's right So they're like, what if if we did that, but we got rid of like the piano, the organ music and replaced it with Deep House? (laughs) That's exactly right.
0: Um, This is, this is like, this is guys who watched Eyes Wide Shut and were like, what kind of
2: music did Jeffrey Epstein (laughs) like? Does anyone know that?
1: Organising oh. a big party in a mosque on an island—it's going <laughs> to yeah, be. You really have cool. a Little
2: Saint James residency. <laughs> just, that, just run, run that <laughs> quote back about like the thing about Little Saint James is we wanted to capture that like free-spirited hippie, fun vibe. Yeah.
1: Little Saint James is the fourth guy's surname.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I, it's still <laughs> so funny um, to me that like one of them is just called like I don't know Carl it like he's not a, he's not a <laughs> poor guy he's a multi-millionaire but like next to these other dickheads he's just the most normal guy there. there is like and carl yeah and so like ultimately if you want to know what um
0: what all of that conservative government all of these big middle fingers the populace all, all of what they're doing uh, the entire cons the conservative government as a dj project no, I was going to say it exists in many ways. So the four housekeeping guys can continue to make fun hmm, videos. That's true. That's who this is all for. Yeah, for them. It's for it's for the vanity. It's for the vanity DJ projects of landlords that will allow them to continue just consuming the all like all What's of the, the good phrase, bits right? of like, thi- thi-
2: This is this is the culture that they want. This is the culture that they want to kill the oh, world for. It's so right? terrible. Yep.
0: yep, it's this. It is, it is, it is the tech house collective housekeeping, and uh, their enthusiasm for like little black fedoras and uh, sort of airy, airy female vocals over an EP called Faces.
3: Mm.
1: Why would you call mm. your EP Faces? There are a million EPs called Faces. Named after
0: the um, world's who, best like-
1: nightclub in Gants Hill, Essex. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> but they, but the um, it is, it's the idea, right? Of uh, of just hey, well, we need to make sure that these guys who worked really hard being landlords and aristocrats get to own as much of central London as they can so that they can t- rope off most of it and make it into like a, a champagne lounge for them and their friends.
2: Yeah. And it'll mm-hmm. be like tie in champagne. Like yeah, it'll be. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. AutoZone presents
0: champagne. Speedy auto glass presents, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. route. Yeah. I love going um, down to the Verve Clicot foreign office. <laughs> 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 uh, and the other the last thing right is like the, the actually no sorry, i'm not going to say that that's incredibly libelous <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh.
2: no it's fine
3: i'm just, oh, just even give you a beep. saying that yeah, yeah. <laughs> um so the last but, like, thing is
0: <laughs> no. <laughs> no the last thing is and the last thing about this right is that not saying anything about anything anyone might have done but in general this seems like a
2: cocaine ass idea I'm just yeah.
3: like wait, best- wait are you
2: suggesting that deep house guys might have like done coke uh, Importantly Alice no uh, I'm not yeah. suggesting that yeah. I see.
1: This idea, this idea is so embarrassing that if I was them, I would sue us for suggesting that they haven't done coke. <laughs> like, you know, like, I would at least want the cover of saying I came up with it when I was on coke. I know it's a terrible idea. I'm sorry. It's go- it's outgrown you know, now. You're,
2: you're, cl- you're clearly right, though, Riley. Like they, ha- I, I don't think they have been. I think they're all like straight edge guys because, like, this is this isn't a cocaine ass idea. This is a powerfully sober, non high idea. This is this the only, is the actually yeah. I think that we should we could convey the like chill free spirited hippie fun vibe of Ibiza um, the,
4: vibe, the vibe I get from looking at their picture is the only drug that they're really into is the drug of uh, uh, speculative property.
2: Mm. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that is getting, getting far, fucking weird on speculative property. Which in many
4: ways, it's more dangerous than cocaine. Mm. Oh yeah, yeah, millions times. Uh,
2: you do cocaine, yeah, you're just on so so the podcast.
0: <laughs> and so that's the thing, right? Um, all, all of it, all the lying, all of the, all of the, sh- of the sh- bullshit, all the collapsing public trust, the just decimating of our ability to do anything as a society yep. by working together. Of all this. of that. It's in service it's to this. this. It's for these fucking guys. Um. And look, the thi- the thing is, right? There is also a campaign. Uh, to save. Uh, we're asking you to do quite a bit this episode, but this one's just asking you to sign something. There is a really big petition to save Noor, Cash and Carry, um, which is actually gaining enough speed, like enough uh, momentum that it might just be worth is worth your time to sign. Yeah, it's it's, it's the, like the uh, one family owned grocer
2: in, in Brixton Market that actual people, yeah. as opposed to property speculators, use.
0: Yeah, and they're going to turn it into one of those clothing stores where they have like one shirt
1: on a white pedestal and it's oh. 900 pounds. Oh fuck. This was my favorite detail about the article, and I can't believe you didn't include it in the podcast, was that one of them owns a gentleman's club called,
3: oh, oh, yes. called London. <laughs> yes.
1: yes. But there's an amazing detail in it where they're like, oh, the, the thing is like, yeah, want our vibe to be like really trendy and edgy. So like we ask people, you know, not to wear baseball caps and hoodies and stuff to the club. And then oh, and yeah. then it says that on their website they sell a range of club apparel, which includes baseball caps and hoodies, which would presumably break their own door policy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> ah, hypocrites hypocrites you know what honestly liberal journalists go after tapes that's something you could pro- plausibly change with all of your like duh hypocrite uh finger pointing you could cha- maybe get them to s- sell different
1: apparel in the store of their nightclub because ultimately thing we say like for certain is that dominic cummings would not be let into tape london <laughs> <laughs> but look right these guys just
0: they live in a, they live it a life and that's true for the um, the conservative ministers who just get to make it up as they go along. They live the life of a Montessori student forever. Mm. Every, no everything wrong is answers. Their, everything is their soft play area. There's no wrong answers. There's infinite encouragement, infinite second tries. And, uh, you know, uh, it's if they say my life a movie, uh, we're all extras. So that's pretty cool. Mm. Um, anyway, <laughs> uh, Awful. Housekeeping awful. I don't know. Download them on YouTube if you can, yeah. because it is some of the most dreadful music I've ever heard <laughs> in my entire life. Yeah. Anyway, look, uh, this has been uh, a, f- a fun little romp through uh, through current events. So mm. I'm going to now throw to myself, Hussein, and our friend Sanjana for a uh, a discussion about oh, something that's yeah. actually actually working. important yeah
2: we're not yeah. ending the show which means that i can't do the joke that i had for this which is where you are about to tie it up i say our theme song is here we go by by um by housekeeping, housekeeping. it's yeah. very good right. listen to it early listen to it often oh no hmm. let's let's do a housekeeping song
0: for our outro this week yes. uh, i'll send you one yeah our theme cool. song is faces by <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's really wow. bad I've listened to it it's so awful yeah um but hey look it's yeah it's like it's like elev. it is essentially like on a lobby music or at best car commercial music du, 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 and uh du, it's du, what gets du, du. made now yeah yeah wait it's what gets made now so cool anyway awesome. uh so over to us in sanjana so see you in a moment
3: take <laughs>
0: Uh, thanks, Past Riley. What a what a charming episode full of uh, witticisms and acerbic observations. However, uh, it now gives me great pleasure to introduce a slim downcast of myself and Hussein, whose location is still undisclosed.
4: Still undisclosed. Yeah,
0: he's never disclosing it. Uh, <laughs> and uh, our friend, uh, Sanjana Varghese, uh, who is a tech and culture journalist who's been writing about the. Only uh, one of the only sort of um, like socialist state, or the most socialist state, in fact, in India, Kerala, and how its response to the coronavirus crisis has been considerably better than most, uh, most of the rest of the country, and indeed most other countries. So, Sanjana, how you doing?
3: I'm good. How are you?
0: I am just fine here on this <laughs> Saturday morning for a peek behind the curtain. Uh, so. Sanjana, we're going to talk about Kerala. Um, can you tell me a little bit about like what Kerala's response to the coronavirus has been and how that's related to the politics of that state?
5: Yeah. Um, so I think there's a lot of different elements of it. And I think a lot of the time, what we're seeing is like, because it's a left-wing government and has been governed as such for a long time, basically the infrastructure to deal with stuff like this is in place. And that's kind of common sense stuff, right? Like that's like investment in like public health infrastructure. That's investment in like local communities. um, And that's also about kind of making sure that all the things that you need to deal with something like this well are actually in place, um, which is actually common sense to me. Um, and I think that one of the reasons that it's been so successful is because they acted really early. So in January, I think it was the first confirmed case of mm-hmm. coronavirus, which is a medical student returning from Wuhan to India, um, to Kerala. And so ever since then, basically the health minister KK Shridhar and um, her like team and the local kind of civil servants and public servants around Kerala have basically kind of moved into action and realized that that was something they needed to be prepared for rather than prepared for. And so rather than assuming like, oh, we'll see, like, we'll wait if it actually, we'll wait and see if it like spreads here. They went on the assumption that it would. And so kind of mm. brought all this stuff um to the front. And so that meant basically putting in voluntary screenings at airports. So anyone who flew into Kerala, which actually around wintertime is quite a popular tourist destination as well. um, So anyone who came into Kerala was like screened at the airports um, from January, way before like a lot of other places were doing it and they were doing this basically not voluntarily but they were doing it without a directive from um the federal government which is really interesting um and then this is kind of working really well for like a month anyone with symptoms was asked to isolate they were tested um it's kind of working well I think they had like one other case or something and then Mm -hmm. there was a family that are Malayali so they're from Kerala that went to Italy and then came back Kerala and then basically after they got back from their holiday they kind of went and did all the normal post-holiday stuff so they like went to a bank they went to a post office I think they went to the police department at some point um, and they actually hadn't been screened at the airport um, and then a couple of I think a couple of days later they tested positive um, mm-hmm. and so that kind of obviously kind of Kick things into like overdrive because I think by that point they'd come into contact with like 300 people or something because they'd gone to so many different places and so then basically what happened is uh in the next two days they uh state government's like kind of devolved response team so a public servant in the area um basically put together this like 50 person team to track and trace where um exactly this family had gone um and they did that basically by asking them for information which this family wasn't like great about giving them but then also combining it with like gps data that they took from their phones surveillance footage from like loads of different um like establishments that they had been to like a jewelry Mm -hmm. store and the bank um and then basically what they did was they got that infection route and they posted it on social media and like basically made it widely available and they said here's a helpline Mm -hmm. like number call us if you've been in any of these places and you think you might have come into contact with these people and that was like a huge amount of people called them. I think it's like something like 160, maybe even more than yeah. that. And so then as, basically- As I
0: recall, it was 300 from yeah. reading uh, your article.
5: Yeah. Sorry, my my graph of numbers isn't so good in the morning. <laughs> um, and so it was like an insane amount of people, right? Which I think is like really worrying considering it's it's one family and they'd kind of stuck to their local area. They weren't like really traveling outside of their town or anything. Um, and so then after they posted this this number and people called them, then basically this- this like response team basically went kind of kicked things up a notch and said, okay, we're going to start. Um, you, everyone has to go into isolation. Um, if you have got these symptoms, or if you kind of are displaying this behavior, or if you were in this area with them for longer than you know x amount of time, we're going to call you every day. So every person who is in isolation had like someone who was calling them every day, being like, "Do you need anything? Are you staying inside?" Like, basically, kind of checking up on them, kind of also kind of enforcing the quarantine. Um, and that kind of then also ramped up in the next couple of weeks as um, larger parts of the country and larger parts of the world started to go into lockdown. Um, and so basically, they had this um, like method, which is testing, tracing, isolating and surveillance, um, which is very interesting because surveillance is like quite an obvious part of it. Um, and that's basically, I think, what we're trying to do in the UK. And it's what a lot of other countries are kind of doing to varying levels of success. But I think they've done it really well in Kerala because... Um, there's kind of the investment in public health infrastructure, and also there's like yeah. a relief package for people. So, so yeah, carry so on.
0: <laughs> I, I'm going to take this opportunity to, to give you some of your own words back to you, nice. which is <laughs> that Kerala was successful not only because it sprung into action immediately on learning of the virus, but it, beca- but because, but because of what it had done in the years, not just the months leading up to it. Decades of continued investment in healthcare, universal healthcare the devolution of government, which gave responsibility to local communities and early precautions. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I think has been very um, telling about the Carolyn response is that it has not just been a top-down state government-led, mm-hmm. but rather that there has been the space for civil society organizations to mm-hmm. exist, not just um, asking them to spring up in response to a crisis, mm-hmm. but that they... That these this amount of institutional strength mm-hmm. has been there and is, mm-hmm. has not been hollowed out mm-hmm. in like since 1967.
5: Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely, um, and I think that is really crucial, particularly with somewhere like Kerala, which has a really high rate of migration and a lot of people coming in and out, um, which is actually quite important when you're understanding the Keralite response. I think because rather than saying like a lot of other places did that um, they're kind of going to leave migrant laborers or people who would come into the country and maybe didn't really have the resources to isolate effectively rather than saying, okay, well, you're going to sort yourself out. Like we'll figure it out. They actually kind of made responses like that kind of response, a crucial part of what they're doing. So they kind of announced the state government announced this like relief package. So they said, okay, we're going to like distribute meals and we're going to make sure that people check up on you. But actually it was down to local communities to kind of administer that, um, which are like local village councils basically. And so that basically meant that it was like someone you knew or people you kind of vaguely knew who would be coming to your door saying, are you all right? you know, do you have food? Do you need anything? Is anyone in your family ill? Which I think makes a massive difference. And I think also kind of the fact that that's already in place means that outside of the situation, you've dealt with these people before, you know what the systems are, and you know that they're there for you, which I think isn't really necessarily the case here and in a lot of other places. And I think that makes a huge difference in terms of like compliance with quarantine as well.
0: Yeah. Uh, Hussein, what's uh, what's your thought on this matter?
4: Yeah, I mean, one of the things I found very interesting was when you compare Kerala to like other states, um, and mm. I'm thinking like, namely like Ahmedabad and uh, Gujarat, mm. um, Gujarat being the uh, the like home state of uh, Narendra Modi. Like,
3: mm. but you can
4: see like these stark differences in like percentages. So, in uh, I think, I feel like maybe yesterday or a couple of days ago, um, Ahmedabad like reported almost like a 50 or 60% increase in coronavirus cases. So like the number mm. is still kind of rising up, which is still like very high as well. And those numbers are still rising. I'm not sure mm. whether Kerala is the only state where, um, in coronavirus infections have stabilized or have, um, or are starting to decline. But I sort of wanted to, um, it, it, I, I was thinking about what you were saying, like you were saying about like the, the differences in the structure of the states and whether it's sort of, um, higher level of autonomy in Kerala like, contributes to its, uh, the ability to build an infrastructure which can kind of uh, build out like, a more effective track and trace system compared to like, other places like Gujarat where you have various like, political forces um, who have like, this nationalistic, but also like, mm. maybe libertarianism isn't necessarily the right word, but um, one that doesn't necessarily see a communal state as mm. uh necessarily like something conducive to its sense of governance
5: mm-hmm. um yeah i mean I, I definitely agree with you there and i think that is a huge part of it um particularly like when you look at the fact that historically like kerala is kind of Gone its own way since the 1960s, since the um, Communist Party came into power, it was actually one of the world's first democratically elected communist governments, which is very interesting. Um, mm-hmm. And and since then, basically, like Kerala has really gone a different way from a lot of other places in India, if not the rest of the yeah. country, I'd say. And you, and you can really see that now, as you're saying. And I think part of that is also the fact that when these reforms were implemented in like the 1960s, so the Land Reform Act and kind of investment mm-hmm. in public health care and. Kerala's put a massive emphasis on um literacy, particularly for women. Yeah. And so that kind of thing, you know, at the time I'm sure, like I again, I I'm, I'm not like a policy expert, but I, at the time I'm sure it was difficult to bring in. But over like the last decades, you've really seen that pay off. So for example, we're in a lot of other countries, like we're not of we're in a lot of other um, states, like information and misinformation on WhatsApp is quite widespread yeah. and it's a huge issue. And I don't doubt that it is in Kerala as well. Like again, I, you know, I I'm never sure about how to measure stuff like that. But I think what people are actually seeing in Kerala is that the misinformation level, for example, on WhatsApp is like very different in Kerala than it is elsewhere, just because of the fact that like literacy is a huge part of what has actually made the state able to kind of respond in this way. And so people then are paying attention to what um, politicians are saying and they're able to like read the news about it and they're not relying necessarily on like sound bites they're getting from people. And so because those things kind of like add up to a community response um, even if at the time they seemed like one part of like a very different thing. if that makes sense? <laughs> I don't know yeah, if it does. I
4: mean, speaking, speaking about news, I was watching one of those like crazy Indian news channels, um, you know, the ones where they have like 25 guests or something on. Oh like, my God. Um, oh my God, and this is sort of like watching like a big brawl. And what's yeah. been really interesting about the COVID stuff is that it's kind of like for all the craziness of like Fox News and everything, the Indian equivalents um, of which there are many, tend to be like a more accelerated and more insane version of that. And I was watching one of these uh, programs like yesterday and from like my kind of like vague understanding of Hindi and everything. Um, what I found very funny is that when the Kerala response came out, the one of like the most popular pundits uh, like pro Modi pundits like response mm. to it is, well, Kerala people are, bo- are like this very boring. They're very boring <laughs> people, but don't like having fun. And the reason why the COVID nineteen response, like why the coronavirus infections have been kept low, isn't because they're a better state from Gujarat or Mumbai or whatever. It's because mm-hmm. the men don't go out drinking and <laughs> are on strike all the time, so they're never at work, and that's why it's not spreading. <laughs> and I just found that like incredibly funny because it was almost like it was almost like this acceptance of like you know you do have these like failed microstates in india and like it is very hard to control and it is very mm-hmm. hard to like manage a population of uh, that size when you know you have that de- that kind of so called decentralization but you also mm-hmm. have these various like political forces that have undermined any sort of like state cohesion mm-hmm. even prior to this crisis anyway mm-hmm. and um yeah I mean I know that like there's criticism around like whether you can actually call the Carolyn government like communist or even yeah. they're more like in recent years they've been more um social democrat than anything yeah. else um but i saw I wanted to ask as this is just like a follow up question, um like what you think about like the impacts of say like Hindu nationalism or Indian nationalism. Um, whether that's kind of like had a detrimental impact on the way in which these types of crises are responded to.
5: Um, that's a good question. I will I will preface it by saying very much like I am not an expert on any of this by any means. Um, so my understanding of it is very much filtered through like what I read and kind of see on TV and also what I talk to about like my grandparents and stuff. Um, <laughs> I do think that. Particularly, like speaking specifically about this as well, I think, which kind of grounds it, is that Kerala, for example, like went into lockdown, like much before a lot of other parts of India did, right? Like they went into kind of a state of lockdown, like at the beginning of March. Um, And I think very much at the time, if you, as you kind of mentioned, if you read like the newspapers and the news coming from outside of Kerala, people were literally like, what are these people doing? Like why is the government reacting like this? Like This is basically like crazy talk. Like they don't need to do this. They're overreacting. Um, and I do think that there is a sense that like within, within Kerala as well, like there's, there's like a very, it's always gone its own way, right? Like mm-hmm. it's always kind of, for the last couple of last couple of decades, it's always gone its own way. And I think that in terms of that, it's proven very, like it's proven to go very well right now, right? Like in terms of its response, it's worked out very well. Um, and mm-hmm. I think that's also because of recent history. But I do think that, coming back to your question about like nationalism and stuff i think that there is like a tendency for these strong men such as you know modi and for a lot of the other people who are very prominent in his government to say okay well we don't need to do those things that's like overreacting we're just going to be able to get through it with like you know doing other things You're not locking down and you have to go out and clap for the healthcare workers or whatever and i think that has kind of contributed actually in the long run
0: we're gonna beat up the virus, yeah,
5: basically. And I think I think that's like a very prevalent tendency in a lot of other countries, not just in India. It's very nationalistic, um, and it's very much like that element of like you kind of have to do your own part to stay at home, and that's patriotic and stuff. Without really recognizing that, actually, for a lot of people in India, and um, for a huge amount of the population in India, that's not possible. Um, and so I think there is that there is that kind of dis like that kind of dissonance between like okay, we just have to like do our own part and you have to stay at home and you have to like and I think that's common in other countries but I've really seen this in India as well is that you have to do your own part you have to stay at home you have to like you know be patriotic and fulfill your like civic duty or whatever um without really realizing that actually that's not possible in a lot of parts of India um without like significant help from the government and actually like decades and decades of like government underfunding and political considerations as you say have actually really like changed the circumstances under which that's possible and so as a result of that like this nationalism obviously is on the rise, and we're very aware of that. Like in the last, particularly in the last like year, we've seen like such devastation wreaked by that, and I think that does kind of feed into what's happening now.
3: Mm.
0: Yeah, and I th- I think that there is there is this as 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 you become more hyper individualized, mm. uh, you need to rely more on sort of like aggressive nationalism to keep people together mm-hmm. but i think also and you can see this not just in other indian states but also in the uk and the u.s mm. is that these hyper individualized um and residualized societies they're not able to act um they're, they're they have their their, vi- their horizon for action is so incredibly short term
3: mm-hmm.
0: and they're not and they're able to only do the next best thing for the next what week maybe Mm -hmm. like this is why you know the UK is trying to break out of its own lockdown early uh why the US has gone into lockdown but largely failed to like um keep a lot of people actually like on uh on any kind of um, monetary support Mm -hmm. whereas you know in in Kerala like they were mocked in March for going Mm -hmm. into lockdown but that's because I think if you have these institutions, not just governmental but the ones that are supported by civil society, mm-hmm. if you understand that there is that in addition to being individuals, we also are a unit, mm-hmm. and it's bizarre to me that the understanding that society exists as a concept mm-hmm. is now an outlier mm-hmm. in terms of um of 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 how uh, of, uh, of administrative units, like mm-hmm. it's so bizarre that. The fact that everyone in Kerala realizes that they are, not everyone in Kerala, but that like that Kerala has been, the institutions have been built on a sense of interdependence as well Mm -hmm. as individualism. Mm -hmm. It's bizarre that that's an outlier. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not bizarre when you look at the material conditions. Mm -hmm. But I feel like responses in the UK and US, right, Mm -hmm. have basically left the responsibility for actually meaningfully doing anything Mm -hmm. to an assumption that technology will just develop. Mm -hmm. which we on Trash Future refer to as the, a wizard will fix it (laughs) hypothesis. Um, So like we have, we have, for example, we have a, a, we've delayed lockdown. We're trying to go out of it early and we assume that we'll have, well, we won't have to make any sacrifices by which I I don't mean individuals making sacrifices. I mean, just acting together as Mm -hmm. opposed to everyone does whatever they want within Mm -hmm. the market all the time, because Mm -hmm. that's freedom. We've assumed that eventually, uh, a vaccine will ha- will just fix it all. And we mm-hmm. won't have to like consider any of our institutional failings for the last 40 years. And that in the meantime, we can just use an app uh, to kind of magic the problem away with software. Mm-hmm. But when you described the Carolyn track and trace response, it's about, uh, people, and tr- there is a software component, mm-hmm. there is a technology component, mm-hmm. they recognize that technology is not magic,
3: mm-hmm. which is
0: why whenever I see this condescendingly described as a low-tech response, mm-hmm. I'm like, no, fuck off. It's <laughs> tech-appropriate. Mm-hmm. They've used the technology in the appropriate way, mm-hmm. and the rest of what they've used is an institutionally strong response.
5: Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, I think there's a couple of different elements to that as well, and I really agree that um, when it comes to the like magic bullet of tech thing i think that's like very prevalent particularly now and i think that the issue with that on a very like large scale is that when you start talking about technology and i'm sure you guys like you guys talk about this all the time and i think you know exactly what i mean is that when you start talking about technology is this like magic bullet that will save us particularly when it comes to this app i think what you also do is you you start to legitimize its use in other circumstances as well so even if it's not necessary for us to use software for another dimension of this crisis for example if someone was to make like I don't know, an app that like, I don't know, helped mutual aid groups distribute um, food or medicine or whatever. And that's the kind of thing where you actually legitimize the use of technology in circumstances where it's not necessarily needed. I think that that also becomes a big issue too. And I think that is like, I think going to be a consequence of what we see now with Matt Hancock kind of saying like, here's our magic app. It doesn't work. And the people who are supposed to be using it, like have no idea what's going on. And I don't even know how to yeah. find it on the app store, but it, it's there and it's actually on you to find it. And it's a bit like, well, that's not how anything works, let alone something like
0: yeah. this. Mm. The lockdown is just an escape room. <laughs> and, uh, and 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 Matt Matt Han- I I fucking love that Matt Hancock just went on TV and fully just did a Labrador head tilt when <laughs> just like like a dog that's been shown a magic trick <laughs> when it was explained to him that like okay you spent what ninety million pounds on an app from Serco mm-hmm. one of the like participation trophy outsourcers that's been running this country into the ground for the last mm-hmm. thirty years um, you've just. You've just given them infinite money. Yeah. And then what have they done? They built a crappy program for like, I don't know, $20 mm-hmm. that doesn't work, that you can't find. And then they've hired a bunch of people to whom they're paying like poverty wages. yeah. And uh, then their training consists of nothing. They're yeah. being paid to do nothing because Circo and Cytel can't make any of the technology work. Yeah. Uh, if I have something from um, from some articles about this. So it's basically what it is. It's an app. And what you do is you call people who've been identified on, on this track and trace program, which we don't know how it works. And then you're supposed to do several one of several pre-written phone scripts that you don't deviate from. Mm-hmm. So Cytel, this is from Wired, Cytel's contact tracing, program, contact tracing training consists of signing up for one mandatory eight-hour shift and working through a series of documents and a few videos of software demos between five and 10 minutes long. One contract tracer we spoke to who had years of medical experience and is working remotely spent five to six hours reviewing the training manuals and did not have any form of one-to-one or group call with staff as part of the training. The day before the track and trace program was supposed to go live, the Synergy script software, which is like you make the call, you say what you said, you upload the call, Mm -hmm. was still not live at this point and there was no supervision or feedback mechanism. Quote, I think those calls were for us to try it out, but not necessarily to improve the system. I'm not sure how many mock calls I've done, and in the downtime between the mock calls, which are all we do, and the suggested activity of refamiliarizing ourselves with the limited training materials, the ca- clinical caseworker got on with normal lockdown life. "Quote: I've mastered a three-ball juggle, and I'm getting pretty good." Another contract tracer we spoke to reported taking up gaming. <laughs> 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 welcome, like welcome to if you if you just if, if the if like Serco and, and their elk no. That they are able to get away with time after time after time, basically just delivering, uh, delivering what like um a car with a drawing of an engine (laughs) instead of an engine block and saying it's good and suing you if you complain about it, right? If they just do that time after time after time, we keep going back to them. Of course, they're gonna like I don't know make the Matt Hancock app for you know um catching up with your friends. (laughs) It's basically like Omegle. Or chat roulette would be a better contact tracing system than this. And we spent ninety million pounds on it because that's all that that like residualized governments know how to do. Mm-hmm. They only know how to go to the same companies that rip them off time and again because we just we have decided to spend the last forty years ripping out all the infrastructure of of our own society, ripping out the um the act- destroying the like, actual social bonds that put us together and replacing them with just infinite marketized contracts. And yeah, again, that's all in favor of what we spoke about earlier, which is the earlier, the previous segment of the show, which is that the four got- billionaires who run the house keeping DJ collective are all free to like turn Brixton into a soft play area for themselves. <laughs> like that is what this is for. And this is just looking at Kerala, I can think this is what we could have had.
5: hmm. I, I mean, I find it. Sorry, Karen. Handing back to you. <laughs> no, it's it's interesting and like I definitely agree with you. Obviously, on on like a lot of this, and I think one of the things that I found really interesting about um, the kind of the bungled rollout of like basically any app that's supposed to be like helping us in this um, is that like kind of at every step they've basically fucked up. So. On a very basic level, like this UK test and trace service, which came out yesterday, actually didn't complete any mandatory privacy checks, um, which I found this morning, um, Mm -hmm. which is like hilarious and also like terrifying. So Public Health England basically confirmed to Politico that they hadn't completed a data protection impact assessment, which is like mandatory under UK law because they're basically like going to be having they're going to have so much information about people's like personal information their names their zip codes their email addresses and it's going to be held by the government bodies for like up to 20 years which is like a huge amount of time and i think that what also ends up happening is that there's a real question of trust here which i think i i find has been kind of underreported in terms of like if someone calls you like an unknown number calls you and they say hi i'm blah and i'm from like circo or i'm from like the uk's contact tracing like scheme or whatever can you tell me where you've been and what your postcode is and what this is and stuff? Like there's no, there's no trust that actually this person is who they say they're, they are. And because of the way that the government's actually fucked up the response to this so badly, it's really like easy for people to exploit that, you know? And it has happened already, like in terms of scammers and kind of people saying, oh yeah, I'm from this government agency and pe- people basically being exploited. And that's awful. And I think it is one of those things where like, even when it does get up and going again, let's say hypothetically speaking, like the, Contact tracing um the people who've been hired do actually get to do some work in this area, and they do actually get to start calling people and start doing something like even then i I'm really like uncertain that people will trust that this is the like this is something that's smart for them to do with their data and that's something they feel comfortable doing and I think that's like very much a failure of the government as well as a technology
0: yeah, that's right uh, Hussein I'm gonna throw back to you for uh, a couple of final thoughts before we close out
4: yeah, I mean. I, I was just thinking about, I was going to ask a question about India, but it sort of feels like irrelevant now. Um, but in some ways, I, I sort of, I, I guess I keep coming, coming back to that point of like, you can have like, you can have like a functioning app. Um, and it's not actually that difficult to make a functioning app for tracking, like for track and trace. Uh, and I think you're right in kind of saying that both, it seems that both in terms of like the Indian government and Indian bureaucrats And in the UK, there is this idea that, well, if we make an app that's, like, good enough and slick enough and, like, the user interface is really good, then that's kind of sufficient for the response um, because it streamlines, uh, it it doesn't put, like, pressure on the government to actually have to do anything. Mm
3: -hmm. And
4: it feels like in Kerala, even though there is, like, track and trace technology, like, the reason it works is because you have an infrastructure that sort of supports Mm -hmm. it. And mm-hmm. you have like, and you know, and this is stuff that requires decades of work and decades of investment and also crucially like decades of politicking to like, you know, fought that because there have been various occasions when the autonomy of Kerala, as well as that be autonomy of like other Indian States, um, has been kind of challenged and has been like tried to be scaled back. Um,
3: mm-hmm. and
4: what we're kind of seeing in the UK is like, well, you know, okay, well, there's no, you know, in, inshallah, one day there will be like an autonomous region of Newcastle <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, and, and, and until then, like, you know, we, we com- we're sort of like dependent on a national response, but the crucial issue is that because of, you know, a gussing of unions and a gutting of, um, you know, social services and community centers, and basically like the notion of community, it means that like no sort of technology can really like when it comes to a crisis like this and also other crises, like
3: mm-hmm. remember
4: bearing in mind that like, yes, the coronavirus crisis is like a really horrific moment but it also isn't going to be the worst thing that we're likely to face in the mm-hmm. next like, decade. And mm-hmm. if the lesson that we, the lesson like that we come out of is like, we just need better technology or we need to kind of give more authority to technology companies to access our private data, um, not just for security reasons now, but also for health reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, it just sort of feels like we're going to be accelerating this problem of like not really resolve, you know, of, Not really having a cohesive and effective uh, public health uh, response to public health, but what we will have is a lot of companies making money from Mm -hmm. more and more data. That was more of like a statement than a question. (laughs)
3: Sorry, Uh,
4: uh, um, I don't know if you have any thoughts on like whether like the Carolyn response like might actually be a good way of resisting that or a good way for like people to advocate for um, better ways in which we can use technology and how we can use it more effectively.
5: Yeah, um, I definitely do. And I think I think there's like a lot there as well in terms of what you said about legitimizing technology like for further use. Because I um, was reading about this the other day, like in Hangzhou in China, they're um, like the kind of virtual health app thing they've been using is now going to become like a permanent fixture apparently. Um, Mm. And it's going to become like a thing where your health, like your health status is determined by like you can see on someone's phone and it's determined by like a series of colors and stuff. And that's that's something to consider. And I think the thing that I found really interesting about how Kerala has used surveillance technology is that, you know, I think there is like an idea that Kerala is like this communist utopia, and it definitely isn't. And I've seen that in a lot of like Western coverage of what's happening. And obviously, Mm. like we all fall into it at certain like points, and I'm definitely guilty of it as well. And I think there is some like legitimacy to to some of the things people are saying. But you know, the Kerala government has used like a huge amount of surveillance in terms of Mm. being able to actually track and trace people and isolate people, and particularly for that first family that came back to India, well, but came back to Kerala after like they went to Italy, they use surveillance camera footage from like banks and stores. They use like GPS data, they use phone mm. location data and they're continuing to do that. And they're kind of collating it into maps and that's like available for public health officials. Um, mm. They've apparently been using drones to like make sure that people are staying inside. That's unconfirmed. I don't actually know if that's fully true. The site that I saw it on is a little sketchy, but they had maps, so I don't know. Um, mm. And so there's kind of these these different elements to it. And I think that is worth considering in terms of like, Kerala has obviously done a great job in many ways because of the public health infrastructure, because of the trust that people have in the government. Um, But also what they've fundamentally done is like there's a huge amount of like manual labor that's gone into contact tracing. Um, So for every like, you know, for every person who's for every like bit of like cell phone data or whatever that they're using, there's also like two or three people who are actually physically calling places and calling people and like literally with a map saying, OK, well, we know they were here and then they went here. What road did they take, you know, and stuff like that and and that's really important, and there is that element of like using technology appropriately um and there is that element of also like making sure that this kind of use of technology is like limited and it's bounded so hopefully in a you know when when things start to change or when we can kind of see the light at the end of the tu- tunnel whenever that is who knows um there's a hope that this kind of stuff can actually be scaled back very quickly because it relied on like the manual labor of people if that makes sense so yeah. rather than it all just being held you know up to 20 years in like some government server somewhere because it's been done individually by people and it's been done kind of manually hopefully that kind of stuff that information actually isn't like held in perpetuity and that's like i think quite a good thing to take into the future and that's quite a good way of like conceptualizing this kind of like data usage Um, and i'm I'm hoping that i'm hoping that like this is this isn't going to happen like, you know, for years and years, I'm hoping that this kind of surveillance doesn't become like so widespread and so normal for whatever reason. Um, But I think that the crucial element, as you guys say, and as everyone else has been saying, is that you can, you know, track people all you want, you can surveil them, you can look at where their phones have been. But at the end of the day, like if you're not supporting them, like materially, if you're not giving people like food and making sure that they've got what they need, and that they've got a place to stay, and that they know that they can like rely on the government for help, you're not going to get anywhere. And I think that's, that's like just the fundamental element. And that's honestly like common sense.
0: Cool. Well, hey, uh, you know what? I, um, I think that might be about all we have time for. And that feels like a really uh, good place to leave it as well. Um, so I think the lesson we can learn here is... Uh, the lesson, one of the lessons we can learn from Kerala is the best time to um, create a robust public health infrastructure was 40 years ago or 50 <laughs> years ago. Uh, the second best time is now. Um, and, you know, I mean, to do be careful also not to like completely, uh, idolize what they're doing as some kind of wonderful utopia, but Hey, fuck, you know what? It's, it's fucking better than what we have here, which appears to be a coterie of Labradors and scammers, all, um, like (laughs) double, double counting apps and tests and gloves and just sort of kind of pretending to do what a, what a response might be. Um, and getting to have fun with it because, like I said earlier, I cannot shake this idea that they're all living in a society that's built on Montessori rules. (laughs) And uh, they're having a great time just doing UCB government. Anyway, hey, Sanjana... Thank you so much again for talking to us. Uh, where can people find you online?
5: Um, probably on Twitter. I can't remember my handle, which is probably a good sign. <laughs> I'll find it. It's it's like Sanjana MV or something. Um, and yeah, so well, thank you for having me on. I really like talking about this.
0: Yeah. Hey, this was this was a proper delight. Start taking notes. <laughs> And, uh, so that was, that was Sanjana, uh, from, uh, Wired. Wow, you can great, great her interview, on guys. Twitter. <laughs> wow, I sure did learn a lot about
2: that topic. Um. Huh. Very scintillating yeah, uh, stuff.
4: Uh, I particularly like the part where she talks about...
2: <laughs> uh, Why would so you make me the- beep with your mouth when I have...
3: Yeah. <laughs> Alice, I, th- I, th- I think you should probably go beep that. Um
0: so uh yo Mm. um everyone knows it's time if if you if you want to get into tapes nightclub the exclusive club Mm. uh you definitely have to buy a tf t-shirt which is available in in the show notes you know the email address to send to because we have not gotten an online store yet we probably will at some it's
2: difficult to get an online store that prints (laughs) union merch that's exactly right
1: um anyway so and also, it's just uh, still me that yeah. has to package the T-shirts. So yeah, I you don't well even do have a union. <laughs> I'm just a union of <laughs> so, you.
0: Yeah. Uh, no. Yeah, yeah. You're you're a one-man union. Uh, look. Also, um,
2: mm. international brotherhood of Milos. <laughs> yeah, uh,
0: it's it's
1: you and Miley, in uh, that one. It's me. You're not the last inventor,
0: England. It's uh, it's five bucks a month. You know what it is. Sign up on the Patreon. Um.
2: Let's see what else. So, is right, there anything else, Riley? You, you cut out when you said that beginning of that sentence, and so what happened was there was a long pause, and then in the exact cadence of steamed hams, you said the Patreon, just in isolation. <laughs> the Patreon, <laughs> yeah. So um, that's how uh, we're plugging the Patreon from now on. Is just the yeah, Patreon, the Patreon, the Patreon. Uh, you know all about
0: it. Mm. So okay, yo, the I, I def- definitely here. need to go eat dinner. <laughs> so uh we will see you on the bonus episode on Thursday. Uh should be a good time yep. and you also know what it is streaming. Nine to eleven yeah. uh British Standard Time, Wednesday, Thursday, Sunday. Yep. All right, is that
2: everything? Yes, our theme
0: song is
2: whatever the fuck it's called by, by housekeeping. housekeeping. It's faces by housekeeping. It's very listen bad. to
3: it. Listen, yeah, to, listen it once. to it never.
2: <laughs> uh, later. Bye.